Welcome. Come in. Join me by the fire, won't you? Yes, have a seat in that comfy chair. I have many stories to share. Here, on the fear of the fire. <laughs> Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. It is later than you. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. For Ironized Yeast tonight, a story of that still, small voice which civilized men call conscience. But first, Frank Martin. The way you feel, that can make all the difference in your life. If you're run down, losing weight, feel tired too much of the time, and if vitamin B1 and iron shortage is what's to blame, listen. Ironized Yeast tablets give you both vital substances. Vitamin B1 with iron. Men and women who were short of them now tell how these pleasant little tablets help them regain glorious pep and energy and needed pounds. So today they can really enjoy living again. Folks, did you get that name? It's Ironized Yeast Tablets. And now, Bites Out, Everybody. Along. Keep moving along, ladies and gentlemen. Keep moving. There ain't no light from here. Keep moving. Hey, officer, what's going on in the hall? What's the blooming attraction? Read the signs, my man. Read the signs. Eh? Oh, the great Peter Stransky, world-famous explorer, appearing in person in lecture on headhunters of the Amazon. Go, Brown. Now, move along, fella. Move oh, along. Hello, officer. Will you tell a bloke what that headhunting is referring to? Who's on tonight? Now, look here, you're obstructing traffic. It's lecturing the man. He's lecturing on these Eden tribes that aren't their neighbor's heads. Now, move along, man. Move along or I'll take you in. And now, ladies and gentlemen, now you know the story of these strange motion pictures I have shown you this evening. For the first time in history, motion pictures taken of the lower Brazilian region. Someday soon I hope to return to Brazil and bring back more cinematic records of the customs of these almost legendary savages, including actual specimens of heads and bodies taken and preserved in their bloodthirsty wars. When that day comes, I hope you will be as kind to me as you have been this evening. And so, good night until we meet again. 
Excellent lecture, Strensky. Excellent. Yes. It went very well indeed. Complete sellout. That headhunting theme meant excellent publicity in all the papers, you know. Yes, yes, of course. Now, if you'll pardon me, my wife... Oh, but my dear Strensky, autograph. They paid to listen to my lecturing and see my motion pictures, not to get my autograph. I'm sorry, my wife, she will be waiting oh, and I... come, come, don't worry about her. She'll... she's well taken care of. Eh? What are you talking about? I just passed her backstage and she had a handsome young gentleman having quite the... a tete-a-tete, don't you know? You will pardon me. Oh, John. <laughs> oh. oh, come now, Ellen, you must do it. Oh, but John, that's ridiculous. Who ever heard of such a silly thing? I did, and that's why I'm telling it to you. Well, I won't listen to another word. I really won't. Oh, yes, you will. No, I won't. <laughs> if I might be so bold as to interrupt. Oh, oh, Peter, it's you. I'm sorry to interrupt your most interesting conversation, my dear wife, but we must go. But, Peter, we... Come, I said. The automobile is waiting. But I... Very well, Peter. Good night, John. Good night, Ellen. Come. Get into the car, Ellen. Why don't you say something, Peter? Yes. Yes, I will say something. This. Well, why don't you speak? Why don't you cry? I wouldn't give you the satisfaction. So, you save your tears for him, too. Say something. I'm leaving you, Peter. Leaving me? What are you talking about? I spoke clearly enough. I'm leaving you. Don't be a fool. I'm trying not to be. That's why I'm leaving you. I should have done it a long time ago. You'll go to him. No, I'm going to divorce you first, Peter. Divorce? I won't have any difficulty about that, I'm sure. No, never a divorce for me, never. You have no choice. Please stop the car. Yes. Goodbye. Ellen. I'm sorry for you, Peter. No. I'm sorry for you. And him. Come in, Ellen. Come in. And you too, young man. What do you want of us, Peter? It was very kind of you two to come here and join me tonight. You said it was important, Strensky. What is it? Oh, have a chair. Sit down. There is no hurry. Well, John and I, we're on our way to the theater. If you don't mind, Peter, tell us what you want. I want little. We have come to what the novelist would call the parting of the ways. As civilized human beings, we sit down. I, the husband, you, the wife, and you, young man, the shall I say, favored one, to discuss our welfare. I'm sorry it worked out this way, Peter. I... <laughs> this life, perhaps the fault was largely mine. I was not a very good husband. You're acting very decently about all this, Mr. Strinsky. All I can say is uh, I love Ellen very much. And you love him, Ellen? Yes, Peter. If we could arrange matters quickly, I mean the divorce and all that sort of thing. Of course. I just said we are together like civilized human beings. And now, if you'll excuse me, I will close the door. The servants, you know. He's acting surprisingly well about it all, Ellen. I'm not so sure, John. So, 
Now what I have to say, I say in complete privacy. Peter, just why did you want John and me here? Yes, we should come to the point. You and I, Ellen, I suppose there is no use talking about us anymore. Is there? No. So, all right, there will be a gentleman. I will withdraw as gracefully as my clumsy self will permit. First, then, we will sign the papers. Papers? I want you to waive dower rights. Oh, just as you wish. Excellent. So here is the legal form as drawn up by my solicitor. I assure you it's quite an order. You will sign first, young man. Me? Yes, yes, as a witness, you understand. Oh, very well, my, my pen. No, 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 use this one, please. Here. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, John, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, just a scratch, the, the pen point. Oh, I'm so clumsy. John, Oh, I... it's nothing, really. See, the pen point hardly broke the skin. <laughs> Yes, but it did break the skin. Oh, yes, John. You see a drop of blood. Oh, it's nothing at all. Just a scratch. Unimportant. <laughs> Why did you laugh like that, Peter? He said unimportant, and yet it is the most important scratch your young man has ever known. How's that? What do you mean, Peter? What, what's wrong? You feel something, John? What? A constriction between the eyes, perhaps? Peter. Or maybe a strange pounding of the heart? Peter... Peter, or what perhaps, you John, your vision blurs. You hear strange sounds in your ears. A great lover? Peter, answer me. What have you done? John, are, are you all right? Tell me, are you all right? I, I don't know. My head is so strange. John, I, I John, what think is I'll it? sit down. Peter, what's wrong with him? What's wrong? <laughs> John. John, what do you... Your, your lips... You cannot speak, can you, John? If you open your mouth, the words will be your last. A great lover? Peter, tell me. Tell me, have you done something to him? Have you? John, look at me, darling. Speak to me. Tell me what's the matter. Yes. John. Yes, speak, John. Eleanor, I... John! Peter, help me. He's fallen. Peter, help me. Help me. Help you? But, John, look at him. Look at him. He, he's ill, uh, dying. A doctor, get a doctor. Not a doctor, my little wife. Doctors cannot restore even great lovers after the poison of Boracata has entered the veins. Poison? That pen? That scratch? Ellen, you must... <sighs> So, the thought of your lover's death draws the blood from your head and you faint, eh, my little wife? When you awaken, you will wish that you died with him. again. My arm. You are bound in a chair. It is most discourteous of me, I know, but then, as you may remember, I always was a barbarian. John. John. You will keep your voice down. John. You've got to tell me. Where is he? Why am I down here? John's not there. He can't be dead. There on that table, under the sheet. Not John. Yes, John. John, you've killed him. Let me loose. Let me go to him. Stop that. John. Stop making that noise, you mad woman. Stop it. Stop it, I say. Uh, All right, I'll stop you then. Uh, I'll stop you. Uh, All right. Yeah, my little wife, scream, yell, rave all you want. This gag over your mouth serves its purpose well. Go on, go on, you amuse me. 
So, now you have discovered it is useless to talk to the gag, eh, Ellen? It is such a waste of effort, is it not? So now that you are silent, I can go on with my work. Most important work. Yes, you were right about what was on this table here. See? I throw off the sheet. <laughs> and he was such a handsome man. Well, I must get to work. Why, you no longer try to speak, my little Ellen. Does the sight of these beautiful surgical instruments frighten you? They need not. They're not for you. They are for John. Yes. Yes, he is dead. Dead. The poison too quickly, but do you think I would let him rest in death? Oh, no. I loved you, Ellen. And as I loved you, I hate you. Watch closely. What? I'm sorry, I cannot understand you. Oh, you ask me what I'm going to do. The knives, sharp knives, you see them? No, they are not to dismember your precious John. Flesh buried, decays, and is gone. I want your dear John with me for a long time. Again, you ask the question. I'm trying so hard to explain. He's dead, and he will be dead. But in his death, he will serve a purpose. You remember I told you my savage Brazilian friends, the Yavaros, have a quaint custom of shrinking and preserving the bodies of their enemies. Well, I studied their methods most carefully. John Douglas was my enemy. Here he lies. And I will do with him as the Yavaros do with their enemies. So, now you understand. When I'm through with him, your lover will be a little leathery-skinned man, a doll-like in size, a trophy for my trophy room. Who will suspect that in that little leathery doll-like figure is the body of an Englishman? And so he will amuse me in his death. Yes. And you will sit there, my little wife. You will sit in that chair for the many days it will take me to prepare the carcass. You will sit and watch me day after day as with smoke and with heat I make the strong body of your lover smaller and smaller. You will sit there. Ladies and gentlemen, a deep breath, please, before we go on with this story of a jealous husband and the strange and terrible revenge he took against his wife and the man she loved. Yes, before we go on with tonight's Lights Out story, a moment for relaxation and a return to the realities of today. The place is a shipyard, and a worker is saying, I quit my desk job because I wanted to help build ships to win the war, but I'm afraid I can't keep on. I'm losing weight. I'm so restless, I lay awake most of last night again. I feel so tired out so often when I know I shouldn't. I hardly know what to do. Do? Why, find the cause of your trouble. And if it's a deficiency of vitamin B1 and iron, get ironized yeast tablets. Vitamin B1 and iron? Ionized yeast tablets? I don't understand. You see, you're working harder now, so naturally you need more strength and energy. But when you don't get enough vitamin B1 from your food, you may lose your appetite, not eat all you need, and so lose weight and strength. And without enough iron, you may be weak and pale and too often feel all in. But ironized yeast tablets give you both vital substances. Vitamin B1 with iron. Hmm, maybe I better try ironized yeast tablets. By all means do if you're deficient in vitamin B1 and iron. 
ironized yeast tablets have greatly helped many, many others with these deficiencies. See if they're not of equal benefit to you. See if before long you too aren't saying... Since I've been feeling so much better, I sleep like a baby. That tired-out feeling is gone. I'm sure glad I tried ironized yeast tablets. And now back to our lights-out story of the little people. Fire is warm, hell. Warm, so very warm. The air filled with smoke. Dry, swirling smoke. See how it coils around him. At first, how often you cried out when I talked like this, but now you are silent. Weeks. How many weeks has it been? Four, five, six? It used to take my savage friends ten weeks to dry and cure the bodies of their enemies. Ten weeks. And I... I have done it in five. Look at him. Six foot strong and broad he was, but now a doll in size, a small brown doll. Oh, what weary days they've been, filling the body full of sand and slowly turning, turning in the smoke and the heat, not too quickly, not too slowly, not too close to the flames. And now, the man that was John Douglas, a doll. A brown doll of death. The flames are noisy. Noisy as you are silent, little Ellen. You are... Oh, I hadn't noticed. Your eyes are closed. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up, I say. You've got to look at him. Your eyes have got to see him. You've got to see him. Oh, you're speaking. I cannot understand you. The... The gag, yes, yes, I will take it off. Sitting there all these weeks, you haven't got the strength. There, there, that does it. Your lips are free. Well, look at him, Helen. Look at him and tell me what you think of John Douglas now. Understand. You must understand. Smoke, you away from me. Smoke, 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 smoke. What are you raving about? Yes, smoke. See how it goes around him. No. His waist. No, stop the... talking like that. Stop talking smoke. like that, I say. The knife. Where is the knife? Smoke. I'll stop you. No. Ellen, I... All right. Dead. On the table with you. Yeah. I must prepare you, Ellen, for the smoke and the fire. It took me five weeks with him, and now five more weeks with you. And then you will be as he is, brown with the smoke of the curing fire. A little doll in size. Cayenne 
the Borneo and the Celebes are not the only savage tribes which indulged in this most curious pastime of collecting human heads as trophies. In my travels in far-out places, I have come across at least 20 other races who participate in this strange custom. Let's get out of here, Mimi. What it means is dry as dust. Oh, but who cares about Ed Hunton men and the likes of that? Let's get out of here and go to a cinema. Squat. Oh, all right, all right. And they went raiding and killing their enemies, uh, generally in nocturnal surprises. These savages severed the heads of the dead and returned with them to their villages. Members of the tribe believe their rank in the next world depends upon the number of heads secured. But, unquestionably, the most curious custom is found among the Yavaros of South America, who not only sever the heads of their enemies, but also are known to shrink the bodies of the dead until they are small, almost doll-like in size. These bodies are kept in the large huts and treasured highly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I have a surprise for you. In my recent trip to South America and my visit to the Yavaros, at great personal risk, I was able to procure two of the macabre specimens. Yes. Yes, I have here in this trunk the shrunken bodies of two full-sized human beings. That is, at one time they were full-sized, but now, now they are the size of large dolls. A man and a woman, ladies and gentlemen, perfectly preserved. The only specimens of their kind in existence outside of the sultry jungles of South America. Never before have they been seen or displayed upon the lecture platform, but tonight I am going to show them to you. Now you make your public debut, my two beauties, Ellen and John, the new sensation of the lecture stage. Ladies and gentlemen, if you please, if you please, presenting two perfect specimens, the only ones of their kind, of the secret process which enables the savages of the jungles of South America to reduce their enemies to doll-like size. Here we have a living man, about six foot in size during his lifetime, now reduced to midget size. And likewise, here a woman, once a living, breathing individual like you and you and you, now this horrible trophy of the curer's eye. You see, Ellen and John, they like you. You are a success. <laughs> a huge success. You... You're talking. You... No. No, you cannot talk. Dad, you cannot talk. No. You cannot talk. You're dead. You're both of you dead. Captain, it's a strange passenger we got aboard this time, I must say. Oh, you mean Stransky? Aye, strange he is, mate. But what's he running away from, sir? Oh, sure, mate, that ain't a proper question to be asking of a man when he lays as many pound notes on the table as that man did for this passage. <laughs> Fit me out of England tonight, he said. <laughs> and get him out of England, I did. Now, could he be one of them embezzlers? 
Oh, aye, that he might. Yeah, the trunk he was carrying, well, he wouldn't let any of the men lay a hand on it. He brought it down to the cabin himself. I'd like to get a look in it. Aye, and so would I. But he stays in that cabin of his all the time. He's down there now, and I'll bet he's looking in that trunk this very The cabin door is locked. No one can come in when the door is locked. It's going to stay locked until we get there. South America, they won't get me there. No one will get me there. It... Why did I run away? What's the matter with me? No one heard them but I. No one in the audience but I. They... They're in that trunk there. The two of them. Why don't I find out now if no one heard them but I? Why don't I? For sure. Yes, I must. No, they couldn't have talked, not they. The two of you lying there. You didn't talk, did you? No. No, of course you didn't. You're dead. You're more than dead. Hollow flesh shrunk by the smoke of heat until you're smoky little dolls. Aaron and John, I'm free of you forever. Forever. You, Alan, thing that was Alan, why don't you say something? <gasps> again, I heard you again, the two of you, I heard you. No. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, you little things. You can't speak. Your dad burned in the flames. Stop it. All right, I'll stop you. I'll stop you. Into the sea. I'll throw you into the sea. Come, you and you. I've got you in my hands. I'll throw you into the sea. First, you, Ellen. Into the water. There. And now, you, John. Into the sea. The sea will stop that tongue of yours. There. Now I'm through with you. Through with you. The water will stop your mouth. It stopped it. I'm free of you forever. The two of you forever. Huh? What's the matter? What's the matter? That, ne- the matter? Oh, what do you mean, Captain? Nothing is the matter. Well, I thought I saw you throw something in the water. In fact, I'm sure of it. Oh, the, just some old things. Yes, that's it. Some old things I didn't want. Oh, oh, I see. Well, as long as everything's all right. Yes, yes, yes. Everything's all right. Uh, no. No. It is a weird night, isn't it? Weird? Why do you say that, man? Yeah, it's so dark. No moon, not a star in the sky. It's like we were sailing at the black of a tomb without even candlelight to lead us. You know, if I was a superstitious... What in the devil's name is that? What? What are you talking about? There, to starboard, see? Two lights. <laughs> Take it, what lights are those? They're coming closer. Our ship lights? No, that can't be. Why have sailed these waters for it's 15 they. years? It's they. What? The two of them, their faces, see them gleaming faces. Ellen, John, get back. Back to the water I threw you in. Back. Kinsky, what's back. come over you? Back. Stop leaning over the back. rain. Back. You'll Eddie. fall in, you'll fall in, man. Ah! Look out! Help! I fell in. Help me! Here! I'm here! Save me! Save me! Yes, yes, I'll stay afloat. They'll save me. I won't die. I won't. 
They'll save me. No, Peter. Huh? Take his other arm, Evan. I have his leg. No. Let go of me. Let go. Come, Strensky. Join us. No. Stop. Ellen, John, the two of you, stop. You're pulling me under. Drowning me. Drowning me. Martin, what are you looking for tonight? Rationalization, morals? For, of course, the moral of tonight's story is a healthy and a hopeful one. That evil is its own undoing. That reminds me, Frank, outside of Hitler, Hirohito, and company, have you a nomination for the evilest man of the year? Well, leaving Hitler and his fang-toothed friend out of it sort of restricts me, doesn't it? (laughs) No, because anyone who thinks that evil is impersonated only by the militarist is quite naive. But you have your say, and then I'll have mine. Do people say you're slipping, that you can't take it anymore? Well, if you're short on vitamin B1 and iron, if that's why you're losing your pep and sparkle, remember, ironized yeast tablets supply both vital substances. Of course, a rundown condition may be due to other causes. If in doubt, see your doctor. But if you simply need more vitamin B1 and iron get ironized yeast tablets right away. They've been of great help in scores of such cases. In fact, ironized yeast has been so successful that it's sold on this no-risk, money-back basis. If you don't begin to eat better, to feel better, and so sleep better, the cost of the first bottle will be refunded to you in full by ironized yeast, Box IY, Rahway, New Jersey. And now... What about this Mr. Evil of 1943? Well, I'd like to tell you about the evil now. I feel like it, but I'm going to tell about him in a play called Murder Castle. Yes, Mr. Evil of 1943. It takes place, as usual, at a time called next week. Yes, tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story, Murder Castle. And if you need more vitamin B1 and iron... Be sure to try ironized yeast. But remember, there's only one ironized yeast. You'll know it instantly by the yellow and orange package and by the big letters IY on the container and on each tablet. white shoes you now own are not going to be easy to replace. So give them the best of care. Clean them with Energine Shoe White. It's made only with the very whitest pigment. And that amazingly white pigment is thoroughly mixed into every particle of every drop of Energine Shoe White. So it goes on smoothly and dries quickly to a really white white. Keep your white shoes looking better longer by Energine Shoe White. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thoughts of suicide may feel impossible to overcome, but with help and support, you can find hope and meaning. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK to speak to a counselor, or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. It's free, it's confidential, it's available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 
And even if it feels like it, you are not alone. Hey, you listening to this podcast, I've got a message for you. If you've drank the rest, now drink the best. Gun Barrel Coffee. We are the Gun Barrel Coffee Incorporated team. We are united by the love of coffee, guns, freedom, and America. What started as a hobby has turned into a high-quality home-roasted coffee, enjoyed by family, friends, and now the public. We are proud to donate a portion of our proceeds to the organizations who support those who serve, those who protect and defenders of our rights and freedom. Accept no other substitutes. You've had the rest. Now drink the best. Gun Barrel Coffee. You can find the guys at GunBarrelCoffee.com. Certain people, often well enough liked, genial souls whom one is always glad to meet, yet who have the faculty of disappearing without being missed. Crutchley was one of them. It wasn't until his name was mentioned casually that evening at the Stuargates that most of us remembered we hadn't seen him for the last year or two. Yes, I remember. I was talking to old Crutchley at the time. Oh, he's awfully sweet. I always liked him. Wasn't it queer? He seemed to have dropped completely out of things. For the last year or two, he's been living very quietly with his people in Norfolk. Oh, really? I heard from him only the other day, as a matter of fact. Oh, never. I wonder why he's chosen to efface himself. He was rather a lamb in his way. Oh, I, I used like, to adore like that him. shiny black hair of his, which always made me think of patent leather. <laughs> <laughs> it's as white as the ceiling now. Pardon? I said, it's as white as the ceiling now. Oh, no, 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 no. We're speaking of Simon Crutchley. Simon Crutchley. I mean Simon Crutchley. But that lovely, sleek hair. What... what happened? Did he have a nervous breakdown? Something like that. Biotex, the new soak and pre-wash powder presents Beyond Midnight by Michael McCabe. In this series of programs, ladies, it's our intention to talk to you about Biotex and promote it to you for the laundry. Now, we've made claims that Biotex will get rid of the stubbornness stains just by soaking. I dare say, like others, you feel a, a bit skeptical about these claims. And so we've been collecting letters from ladies who use Biotex just to quote to you from time to time in order to authenticate our advertisement. And Mrs. O'Dell from Beach Road, Seapoint in the Cape, wrote and said that Biotex is a very welcome product for the household. Biotex has a unique quality that it does what it claims to do. Mrs. Dove finished by saying, I have proved your claims about Biotex and am delighted with the results. And then a Mrs. Rita Stewart of Hans Stratum Avenue, Littleton, Transvaal said, We have tried your Biotex for all our children's clothes and also white underclothing and were absolutely amazed at the change in their appearance. And I can assure you, said Mrs. Stewart, that I will be a regular user of Biotex. 
So, buy Biotex for yourself and your laundry. about Crutchley. Oh. Ah, I smell a story. Yes. It's a queer and rather terrible story. There's even one bit that he couldn't or wouldn't tell. So no one but he knows what the sight was that sent him off his head for six months and turned his hair as white as snow. The night's young yet. Come to my place and have a drink. I'll tell you all I know. A driver. interested in Joan of Arc, you see, and decided to go over to France to work, as it were, on the spot. I don't know if you like Rouen. Crutchley was delighted with it. He found a hotel practically undiscovered by the English and the Americans. L'Hôtel d'Avignon. It stands halfway down one of those old world streets near the Gare de la Rouge en Dark. Crutchley liked it immediately and decided to stay. It was out of season. There were plenty of rooms. To the hotel where many ate, but few slept. Crutchy, then, had a choice of rooms on the first floor. Monsieur? Hmm. Well, this seems... Ah. There's a little garden out here. Oui, monsieur. The hotel is very old. It is built onto the side of the hill. The garden... And the garden's a story about the street. Oh, I care for this. Mm, it won't get much sun, will it, though? Well, that's a plane tree, isn't it? Monsieur? Yes, yes, I think it is. <laughs> it's so quiet. Reminds me of some of the little squares in the court. Oui, monsieur. Uh, yes, please, I, I should like this room. Uh, please arrange my luggage to be sent up. I, I'm a writer, you see, and garden appeals to me as a place to work. It never occurred to our friend that a square enclosed on all sides by brick and almost completely starved of sunlight would be something of an unhealthy place. He was quite fascinated. The very next day, he took pen and writing materials and sitting on one of the decrepit paint-peeling seats, he started on his study of the Maid of Orléans. To begin with, his writing wasn't successful. I think Crutchley mistook the almost unnatural silence for peace. Instead, the lack of noise bred in him an indefinable restlessness. It was almost a relief to break off from his labors and go out into the little town. Crutchley had five days at the hotel, five fruitless days as far as work went, when something strange happened. It was his habit to undress in the dark because his window was overlooked by dozens of others. One night, he was smoking and stepping into his pajama trousers 
when he wandered over to the window and looked out. Mean to ask you for the last week. Uh, can I have a harder pillow? Monsieur? Uh, pillow. Harder. I'm sorry, my, my French is about as good as my Lithuanian, and I don't speak that at all. A pillow. This thing here. Harder. Ah, oui, oui. Yeah, thanks. Oh, one more thing. Who's the lady who sits out there in the garden late at night? I mean, I, I say sits. Well, she was there last night anyway. Somehow, though, I did have the feeling that she might go there often. Hmm? Uh, who is she? A uh, sort of sad-looking woman. The chambermaid turned towards the window. Our friend saw a rapid movement of her right hand. It was done very quickly. Just the touch of her forefinger on her brow and a rapid fumbling of fingers at her breast. But he knew she had made the sign of the cross. There is no lady staying in the ice, monsieur. Monsieur... It's been mistaken. 
Will Monsieur take coffee or the English tea? Darling, let's go out and paint the town red. But what about your headache? Oh, that's gone. Grandpa headache powders did the trick. Grandpa headache powders kill pain, soothe strained nerves and lift depression. Grandpa headache powders are extra effective because they have a triple action. Grandpa headache powders work extra fast because they dissolve almost immediately. Get fast effective relief from any pain, all pain. Get Grandpa headache powders. Ah, Grandpa. Amazing new Biotex acts with a biological action to soak out the stubbornest stains and loosen dirt. New Biotex is great for all textiles and synthetics, whites and colors. It contains no bleach. Get amazing new Biotex today and let soaking do the washing. The wine list, monsieur. Oh, thank you, Pierre. Thanks. Are you quite comfortable in your room, sir? Mm -hmm. Oh, quite, thank you. Uh, there is a very pleasant room in the front, sir. It's quite so big, and then there is the sun. Perhaps you like it better, sir, huh? Mm -hmm. uh, the white wine there, please. How do you pronounce it, Pierre? Uh, Le Cromertin, monsieur. Oh, a good choice, very good. The room, sir, in the front. No, no, thanks, no, thanks. I, I shouldn't get a wink of sleep. You see, none of your motor traffic seems to be equipped with silencers. With trams, motor horns, and market cars bumping about all over the place across those cobbles, I should never get any peace. Very good, monsieur. But here, I'm on the trail of something queer here. The chambermaid's been talking to him, obviously. I wonder what's wrong. What they think. Crutchley forgot about it for a little while and tucked into the very excellent food they served at L'Hotel d'Avignon. When the head waiter returned to his table, though, with the wine, he reopened the subject. Why do you want me to change my room? I do not wish for you to change your room if you are satisfied, monsieur. Well, when I am not satisfied, I say so. Uh, why do you think I may not be? I only wish for you to be more comfortable, sir. There is no sun behind the house. It is better to be where the sun comes sometimes. Besides, I think Monsieur is one who sees. The head waiter's last remark seemed cryptic, but our friend let it go. He didn't feel like discussing the sad lady he'd seen at any length with Pierre. During the afternoon and evening, Crutchley tried to work. He was incapable of concentration, though. He knew, and he was angry with himself because he knew, that he was eking out his patience until night came, in the hope of seeing once more that still figure of despair in the garden.
Before he even reached the window, he knew he would see her sitting in the same place. He was unable to explain, even to himself, why he knew. It was midnight. Why I 
come to save you, monsieur. There was in this town a notary of the name Lebrun. And in a village halfway from here to Dieppe is a grand chateau in which there lived a lady, une jeune fille, with her father and mother. And the lady was very beautiful, but not very good, monsieur. Well, go on. Well, I, I don't quite see what this has to do monsieur, with you. You will, please. Eh bien, monsieur Lebrun fell in love with her. I think she loved him too, better as all the others. So he make application for her hand. But he was bourgeois and she was aristocrat. He had not so very much money and the application, it was refused. And so they find for her another husband who she loved not and she find herself someone else and there is divorce. And she have many lovers for she was very beautiful but not so very good. For ten years, perhaps, she make her beauty to make slaves of men. And one he made kill himself because of her. But she does not mind. And all the time, Monsieur Lebrun, he does not marry because he could not love another woman. But at last, this lady, she have a dreadful accident. It is a lamp which blow up and hurt her face. In those days, the surgeons did not know how to make new features. Oh, it was dreadful, monsieur. She had been so lovely, and now she had nothing left except uh, just the eyes. And she go about wearing a long, thick veil because she had become terrible to see. And her lovers, they no longer love. And she have no husband because she have been divorced. Then... Love. 
it happened a long time ago. And now perhaps Monsieur understand why perhaps it is better he sleep in the front of the building tonight and change his hotel tomorrow. But why does she come back? Uh, how do we know, Monsieur? She's a thing of evil. When her face was lovely while she lived, she used it to destroy men. Now she still uses it to destroy, but uh, otherwise. She has some great evil power which draw those who can see her. They feel they must not rest until they have looked upon her face. And that face is not good to look upon. Ah. Oh. Another drink handy, old man? Uh, no, thanks. Listen, that can't be all. Poor old Crutchley. But that can't be all. No, it isn't quite all. I wish that it were. Crutchley was scared. He changed his room and the next day he moved out. He went to another hotel, tried to work but couldn't. The horror of the thing had a fascination for him. And the next night, as it started to get dark, he asked himself why he shouldn't go and look. He was compelled. Why shouldn't I go and see? It couldn't hurt me. Not if I look from a distance. He didn't realize that she was drawing him, drawing him to her. He went to the hotel, Hotel Devigno. He walked around the building twice and then walked straight in through the swing doors as if he still stayed there. He went to the first floor and found one of the doors that led into the walled garden. It was late and the door was unlocked. He just stood there, staring in horror at that which sat upon the seat. He was drawn like a moth to a candle flame. Madam, please look at me. Madam, let me, let me see your face. Madam, please look at me. Madam, I know your story and I pity you. Allow me to see your face. He was lost. He knew it. The power was too strong for him. He bent over her. left in her face. But it wasn't just that. It was something much worse, much more subtle. Something happened, I know, before his sense left him. Poor devil, he couldn't tell me. He's getting better, though. Nerves still in shreds, of course. 
And he has one or two peculiar aversions. What are they? He can't bear to be touched. Or to hear anybody laugh. Ladies, we're speaking about biotechs in this series of programs, and Mrs. E.B. Granger of Gordon Road, Heathfield in the Cape, wrote to say that she decided to try our biotechs just to see if it lived up to our claims. And she said, I bought a packet, and lo and behold, it actually did just what the advert said. I'm so proud of the children's white shirts, the hankies, and the underwear that I want to say it will be biotechs for me every washing day from now on. Some of my family's accessories were left with slight stains, but now, thanks to Biotech soaking, they come out white, and the stains do go away, as you say. Now, that is a statement from Mrs. Granger of Heathfield of the Cape, and it bears out what we have been saying to you ladies ever since Biotech first came on the market. We said to you, it is different to any washing product that you've ever used before. We claim that the stubborner stains will vanish, and people like Mrs. Granger bear out our claims. Remember, Biotex. Beyond Midnight is presented every Friday night at half past nine by Biotex, the new soak and pre-wash powder. The program is adapted for broadcasting and produced by Michael McCabe. Idea. Got no more idea than a rabbit. 
one. Well, that's a start. Let me see. What I need is a character. Character, character. Come on, character. Have you got three dollars? No, I haven't got three dollars. What do you want three dollars for? The milkman. You had some money last night. I got 80 cents. Thanks. Uh, Listen, Ruthie, give me an idea for a character. I haven't got any ideas for characters. Haven't you really got three dollars? He's been here twice. Give him a check. What I want is a character for this script. The only one I can think of now is the milkman. You get to work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, get to work. Sure, sure. If I get a character, I'll get to work. That's all I need. Then I'll get a story all right. I think. Come on, character. Come on, character. I know what you want. I said I haven't got three dollars. Oh, come on in, Ruth. What are you... What's the matter with you? Come on in, I said. Ruth! You calling me? Didn't you knock at this door? I thought I heard somebody. All right, all right. Doggone it, I must be going. No, I didn't write that. How did that get on that paper? Bring me to life. I didn't write that. I did. Ruth! Ruthie! Hey, Ruthie! What's the matter? Ruthie, come here. Come here, quick. What's the matter with you? Come here. Look at my typewriter. Well, what about it? Look, look what's on the paper. Bring me to life. What's strange about that? I didn't write it. What? Are you... Look, look. See what it's doing? Underlining those words. How are you doing that? Not, I tell you. Look, I said I didn't write it, and the typewriter just said, no, I did. Who is it? I don't. C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. Character. Now, look. This is a gag of some kind. How are you doing I tell you, it isn't a gag. That that typewriter's haunted. This is impossible now, I tell you. It is, huh? Well, look at it. Bring me to life. You see? All right, smart guy. It's a great trick. How do you do it? Ruth, I swear to... I swear I'm not doing it. You are, too. Look, now, wait. Wait a minute. I'll go way over here, and you'll see. Now, it'll write... You're right. Watch now. I knew it was a gag. Listen, I've got housework to do. Now you go on and get that script written. Oh, God, Ruth, I, I have to think up a character first. There it goes again. It says me, 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 me. All right, there's your character. Right about him. Do you really suppose that... Now, look, darling. 
I've been married to a writer long enough to believe almost anything. I don't know how this is done, but it's worth trying, isn't it? Well, I don't like to monkey with things oh, like that. don't be silly. Well, it's... Wait a minute. It's one thing to write about supernatural things. It's... Well, it's another to experience them. Huh. You've always been wishing you had a typewriter that'd do your script for you. Now you got it. Go ahead. Yes, but... Uh... How do I know who this is? Who? Well, this character or whatever he is. Well, you decide. You bring him to life. Go ahead. Who should he be? Well, a pirate? Uh, I don't know anything about pirates. Hmm? What? It says, I do. Go ahead. I don't like it. Go ahead. Unless this is a gag. It's no gag. Right. Well. It was a dark and stormy night. What's that? Sounds like thunder. There's a storm coming up. My gosh, does this thing control the weather, too? Go on. Write some more. This is getting interesting. Well, I... All right. (laughs) Nothing's happening. What did you write? Here. Read it. The pirate ship scudded through the roaring waves, all her sails straining under the howling wind. Do you smell anything? Smell? Yeah, I sure do. It smells like the ocean. Go on. Read some more, Ruth. I I think I know how this works now. Well, what do you mean? I think you have to read it to make it happen. Well, you read it then. Uh, no. You. I, I don't want to read it. I'm scared. I don't like it either. Look, the typewriter. It says, read it. Well? Well, uh, Captain Jabez Thorne, scourge of the Spanish main, scourge of the Spanish main, slowly climbed the steps of the companionway. Uh, companion way. There's, there's somebody coming up the stairs. You know there aren't any stairs in this house. Oh, read some more. And flung open the door. Oh! He gazed on the wild scene for a second and drew his cutlass. What? What's that? My Swedish crystal vase. It, it fell down. He knocked it off with that. I couldn't help it, honey. You do something about it. Oh, my beautiful vase. And there isn't another one like it in the world. Well, what can I do? For God's sakes, honey, I can't help. Wait a minute. Wait. He returned the cutlass to its scabbard. You see? That doesn't bring back my vase. Well, listen. 
He turned to the beautiful girl at his side. Hey, don't read that. And put out his arm. Oh, what? hands. What? What's the matter? Hands. Great big hands. Oh. Ruth, what's happening? Ruth. Somebody kissed me with, with whiskers. characters write your stories for them? <laughs> the only thing is, you have to be careful what I put down on paper. don't want to find myself getting choked to death by somebody I brought to life. Hey! Hey, what am I saying? Well, let's see what happens. 
one. You know, you don't have to believe this, friends. <laughs> I'm not so sure I believe it either, even though I've been mixed up with supernatural stories for so long, I guess I'm a sucker for it. Maybe all that didn't happen. Maybe Ruthie and I dreamed it. The only thing is, two people don't usually dream the same dream at the same time, you know. <laughs> and that Swedish crystal vase of hers is sure busted. You know, I didn't do it. Okay, hypnotism, maybe. Okay, hypnotism or something. And I'm going to try it again. Sure, just relax. But we'll see who'll do the laughing, huh? Me or you? How's your imagination? Mine's all right, thank you. So shut up a minute while I try this. Huh? Keep quiet and let's see what happens, okay? Hey, character. Character. Come on, character. Come on, character. What? No, I did that. It wasn't the character. I just wrote, are you there? Let me see if he answers. Come on, character. I need a story. You helped me the other day, character. Help me now. Come on, come on. Come to life. Character, you hear me? Come on, pal, I need help. Don't be mad at me. Pirate? Romantic guy. Yeah, a soldier. Be a 
ghost? Nah, nah, no ghost chains clanking and stuff, corny sound effects. No, no. A burglar. Well, burglar might be good. Uh, I wouldn't know what to do about a burglar, though. We haven't got anything worth stealing around here. Besides, burglars are kind of corny, too, aren't they? You know, uh, you always think of a fat guy in a mask with an old-fashioned dark lantern and a bag over his shoulder. Uh, like those fellas uh, the drawn codgers. Uh, what's the name of the fellow that does it? Larry Reynolds? Uh, the big fat guy and the little old man. <laughs> now, burglars are funny. Burglars are out. Well, what the... Who'd come sneaking into your house in the middle of the night? Let me see. Let's see. Hey, uh, what about an escaped convict? An escaped convict? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Uh-huh. You could do a lot of things with an escaped convict. Guy's wife asleep. You know, a desperate character. I could have left the door unlocked. He could have sneaked in. I never known it. He could be looking over my shoulder right now. Hey, stop that! Scare myself to death. Hey, this will be all right. This will be all right. He, uh... Let's see, he could have sneaked into Ruthie's room. Oh, did I wake you, Ruthie? Oh, I'm sorry, talking to myself. <laughs> Ruth! Badly. 
They have rifles and shotguns, ma'am, and they won't hesitate to use them. That is, unless there's a lady present. You see? Now, now a necktie. You're not... Shh, please, please. Hmm. Nice tie, this. Very nice. Uh, you see, if I might be so crude, I intend to take you along for a kind of shield, ma'am. Oh, the boys won't shoot you, understand, if there's a possibility of putting a bullet through you. So I suggest you get up and get a coat or something. It's getting quite a lot cooler out. I said get up. I won't. Ma'am, you better. Oh, please let me see my husband. I told you it'd be all right. And if you're a good girl, you might get back to him one of these days. If you're not... Uh, does your husband wear hats? If you're not, you might not. Come on. Get up. I won't... I suppose it was Ruth screaming that brought me back through the darkness to a kind of semi-consciousness. The light was still on in their room. I could hear them talking. He's still out cold, man. I kept my eyes shut. I, I don't know why. I suppose I ought to have got up and helped Ruth. But I was still pretty groggy. I just lay there. I could hear them. Come on, come on, ma'am. I haven't got much time to wait. I'm not going. I got my eyes open just a little then, and I could see Ruth with her heavy coat thrown around her and... He had her by the hand, and he was pulling her toward the door. Come on, come on, come on. No, no. Come on. Seemed to be a long time before I could get up on one elbow. My head hurt. I wasn't sure what happened. Ruth was gone. Who was the man I saw dragging her away? I, I tried to think. Finally, the fog cleared away enough so I could figure out what to do. Hours later than I got to my feet. I staggered out to the other room where I'd been working with my typewriter. I should do something I knew. What should I do? My mind wouldn't work. I wanted to go after them, but something stopped me. Something wouldn't let me go. I didn't know what it was. Something was making a noise through the ringing in my ears. Pirate comes in 
drawers, cutlass, seize, enemy, goes to rescue through French window, pursues enemy, enemy frightened, wife knows, rescue coming, pirate, raises cutlass, Time to forget for the next half hour the four walls of today and escape beyond the horizons of the mind to yesterday and tomorrow. CBS and its affiliated stations present Escape. Tonight we escape with Rudyard Kipling and the two gentle scoundrels he created in his immortal story, The Man Who Would Be King. The time... 
sometime before yesterday. The place, the north of India. The man who tells the story, Rudyard Kipling. One Saturday night, it was my unpleasant duty to put the paper to bed alone. It was a pitchy black night, as stifling as night can be in India in June. It was very still, save for the ticking of the clock above my desk, which seemed to shatter the black heat of the night as the hands crept toward 3 a.m. And then from the passage outside my door, I heard voices. And it must be here. Open the door. Who's there? Only us. Who are you? He don't remember us, Dan. (laughs) That he don't. How could he forget having us turned back at the Jodhpur border? Told the authorities we was impersonating newspaper reporters, he did. Wait. That flaming red beard and that bald head. Why, why you're Daniel Dravitt and Peachy Carnahan. The same. Well, what do you want? If it's money, I haven't any. If it's a fight, it's simply too beastly hot. You can rest yourself easy, sir, because we've come asking for naught except some information. We've been all over this country... And we've concluded that India isn't big enough for such as Daniel and me. So we're going away to be kings. Kings in our own divine right. What? Aye, we shall be kings. We've signed a solemn contract. Each day up the other, and neither of us to take a look at liquor or women until we become kings. Why, I've never heard of such a fantastic idea. But what is it you want of me? Naught but to look at such maps of Kafiristan as you might have about. Maps of Kafiristan? That's where we've decided to go. But don't you realize that not one single Englishman has ever gone into the Kafiristan Mountains and lived to come out again? If you're really mad enough to go there, you're a good deal more likely to become dead men than kings. We shall see. Anyway, I don't believe you have the slightest intention of traveling a mile outside of Delhi. Then you should come down to the Serai Marketplace in the morning, down where the caravans leave for the north. Yes, come down to the Serai in the morning and see then if we be liars. Who will take the You should not laugh at him, Saib. The witless are under the protection of Allah. Quite so, boy. Who is the fellow anyway? A mad priest, Saib, who has arrived only this morning from Ajmer. Ah, yes, Saib. Come to look at my camels, loaded with toys to please the eye of an Amir. Oh, here now. Go about your business. I haven't any use for toys. These are wondrous toys indeed, Saib. Fit for a king of Kafiristan. What? Good Lord. Daniel Dravitz. Quiet. Come along. I've two camels just beyond the wall here. The blessings of Pir Khan on the gracious Sahib, who consents to look at the poor toys of a priest from Ajmer. Over this way. Where's Carnahan? Here we are. Permit me to present my servant, Hazir Mir Khan. At your service, good man. Well, I'll be... <laughs> you do you like our disguises? Do they pass? If they fool this crowd in the Serai, they're probably good enough to get you across the border and good enough to get you killed. Getting killed is no part of the contract Peachy and me drawed up. Although perhaps killing fits in with our plans in a different sense. Feel around underneath the toys there in the camel bags. What? Go ahead. Good Lord. Rifles. Twenty brand new martinis. 
with ammunition to match. And 20 good reasons to make your death certain. Any Pathan of the hill tribes would kill his own mother to get a rifle. Now who would harm a poor mad priest, Sahib? <laughs> Allah protects me. Mad is right. Then so was Lord Clive and Rhodes and Bonaparte. Drive out the camels, Peachy. We've a long way to go before we become kings. As I stood and listened to the camel bells fade away in the distance, I wondered, wondered if it might not be a glorious thing to go to Kafiristan and be a king. Three years pass in India, much as they pass in any other land. It grows hot, then the rains come, and then the heat again. Some colonel at a hill station puts down an uprising. A new viceroy comes out from London, and the paper duly records the death of a sultan in Rajputana, and the trees in the courtyard grow a few feet taller. Finally, time in its circle turned up another night, much like the one three years before. Once again, I sat alone in the office listening to the clock and waiting for some unimportant item to come over the wire from Europe. It was long after midnight when my office door slowly opened. I say, look here, you, you might knock first, you know. Knock. Knock. Good Lord, man. What's wrong? I... Uh, you don't know who I am... Do you? No. No, I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, but here, you'd better sit down, old fellow. You're in a bad way. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's a whole year I've been walking. Right here in this very office we settled it. You sitting right there and giving us the maps... <laughs> You, you've been sitting there ever since. Three years. No. Oh, no. Why, a man couldn't change that much in three years. You're not Peachy Carnahan. Uh, yes. I was king of Kafiristan. Me and Daniel Dravid. Real crown kings we was. Just as true as gospel. What in the name of heaven had they done to you, Peachy? Peachy? I, I knew Peachy Carnahan once. He's a king. Wears a real golden crown on his head. So help me, he does. He, he's dead now, though. No, no, no. You're, you're Peachy Carnahan. You must pull yourself together, man. Yes. Pull myself Keep looking into my eyes. Then maybe everything will go to pieces. All right. Now, tell me what happened, Peachy. We left the caravan at Jagdala. We struck off into the hills alone. Go on. Weeks it was we traveled, Daniel and me. First, there wasn't no roads. And after a while, no food. But there was always the drums. Sometimes they was close. And sometimes farther off. 
but most of the time we could hear them somewhere. Oi, hop! Move along there. Here now, there's no place to be stopping up with you. I'm fearing it's no use, Daniel. What's got into them? The poor beasts are done in and starved, same as ourselves. They'll go no further. Then we'll go on without them. I've not come this far to die on the side of a mountain. Wait. Look, Daniel. Over the edge of the rocks. What? Oh, men they are. There'll be a score or more of them. One goes ahead of the rest. And naught but bows and arrows. Break out a pair of the rifles, Peachy. Right you are, Daniel. It's now that we start to become kings. Here, here, and some cartridges too. Easy now, Peachy. I'll drop the straggler at the rear first, and then we'll lay a few at their feet. No arm to the one in front. We may need him. Now. Stop by the old neck. They are Peachy. Hold it, Daniel. Look at them. Aye, flat on their blooming faces. The leader is come out alone. Well and good, and we'll go part way to meet him, Peachy. But keep your rifle by. Look at him, Daniel. He be as fair as us, with yellow hair. So he does. Part of the lost tribes, these people are. He stopped. I await your command, for ye who speak in the voice of thunder. Oh, the Lord, Harry. Peachy, we're in luck. It's the old Afghan tongue he speaks. Speak up! Who are you, and whence do you come? I am High Priest, and the chief of the village of Bashkai. A journey of only a few heartbeats. This Bashkai, how many people? They are numbered in the thousands. There are more villages in the hills? More than a man has fingers and toes. Hear that, Peachy? Here's our kingdom made to order. And you, you're going to take us to Bashkai. Do you understand? I understand the voice of thunder that you speak. Oh, he's a smooth one, Peachy. He knows a thing or two. <laughs> What's your name? Mazur Khan Jagdalur. That's too long. What shall we call him, Peachy? He has the look about him of an old soldier and friend of ours. Billy Fish. So he does. We bestow a new name on you. From now on, you will be Billy Fish. As you command, I obey. All right. Put this on your drums. Tell them two kings have come out from the mountaintops. Two kings that speak in words of thunder so the earth trembles. Tell them two kings have come to Kafiristan. That's you, Peachy. Damn you. Why be you sitting here in the dark? I've been thinking. A man has to stop and think sometimes. About anything special, Nanyan? Look at them, Peachy. Look at their blinking campfires a-gleaming in the dark like the jewels in a crown. Aye, Daniel. You've done a fine job for sure. All 23 villages you joined together as one. Tis the army you trained to be thanked for it. Two thousand men with a fair knowledge of bearing arms. Some's a bit green at it yet. They're ours now, every man, jack, woman, and child. We own them, body and soul. Aye, we're kings now, Daniel. Not proper kings yet, but we will be. Sooner than you think, Peachy. How's that? Billy Fish told me something today that fair amazed me. These people know the craft. You mean they're Freemasons, Daniel? It ain't no wise possible. So help me, it's gospel true. 
He give me the grip and everything. It's old, the craft is, older than the memory of man. And up here in the hills, they've been preserving it all these years. Why, some of the high priests know up through the fellow craft, but they don't know the third degree. See it, Peachy? They don't know the third degree, but we do. Daniel, what is it you're fixing to do? Do? We're going to be proper kings. We're going to get them going and coming now. I'm going to turn the whole country into one grand lodge, raise some of the priests to third degree, and for me, I'll be the Grand Master of Kafiristan. Oh, but you ain't got the right to. We never been officers in no lodge. Right. What's a king got to do with asking for a right? Oh, I'm against it, Daniel. It's no good to go fooling around with the craft. Ah, you talk like an old woman. The thing will work. I know it will. We'll make it a blooming ceremony. Regular aprons with the symbol and the marks. All of us, Peachy. The kings of Kafiristan. Everything is prepared, Master. And the priests and the people wait. Well, they don't have to wait much longer, Billy. Here now, Peachy. How do you like my apron? It's a wondrous sight for fair, Daniel. Made of white ermine skin, it is. And the master's mark with emeralds studded. The mark? You know the meaning of the mark? That I do. What's got into you, Billy? Not. But tis a thing that's passing strange, master. Strange and rubbish. Come along now. Ready, Peachy? Right with you, Daniel. Then out we go. Onto the temple steps. We'll give them what for. Knock their blinking eyes out. That's what we'll do. Look at them, Peachy! Right down on their blooming knees and yelling their full heads off. Oh, it's a good thing to be a king, Daniel. The mark! Behold! The mark! Tis a sign! The promised ones have come! Here now. What's wrong with the priest, Billy? It looks like trouble, Daniel. No. Stand where you are, master. They recognize the mark. That great stone in the floor. Why do they turn it over? Wait. It's the same! He burns the mark! The promised one has gone! Speak up, Billy Fish. What's the meaning of it? See for yourself. Look, Daniel... Carved on the back of the stone. It is the master's mark, all right. And the same as the sign you wear. Only a few of the priests have known of the hidden mark on the stone. What does it mean? The many who have doubted you were a god doubt no longer. And you, Billy? What do you think? I, master? I think that now it is the time for these. Daniel! Golden crowns! Aye, how they glitter. Fit for the brow of a king. Tis what we came for. Here now, put them on. We'll crown ourselves in our own right. <laughs> Listen to them. You know something, Peachy? We come here to be kings and that we are all right. But blamed if we ain't a couple of blooming gods to boot with a million people bowing on their knees before us. Well enough, Peachy. So it was gods you became as well as kings. 
But then, what happened? What became of Daniel Dravot? Dravot? I knew Daniel Dravot once. He's a king now, Daniel is. Where's a golden crown? Carmen was with him. Peachy, try to pull yourself together. I'll try. Now, you became kings, you and Daniel. Kings of all Kafiristan. He was a fine figure, Daniel was. With his red head wearing that golden crown. Kept himself aloof from the people, so to speak. And when he walked up for the temple, the fair crawled on their stomachs to worship him. But what happened, man? Happened? Well... I figure mostly it was winter coming on. The winds were starting up, and the clouds was blowing down from the north. Oh, it could blow beastly cold, that winter wind. Hey, who's out there? That you, Billy? Confound it anyway. Here now. What's this? I... I have brought you food, master. Stew of the wild sheep with curry and rice. Up off your knees, girl. Bring it inside. Thank you, master. Uh, place it there. Hmm. Now, you're a well-favored wench. I do not understand. Why were you crawling on your knees? It's a fitting way to approach the god of Kafiristan. What's your name, girl? Maruma Fenja. Maruma? You married? It, it has not yet been my happy fortune, master. Are you afraid of me? You are a god. I mean, how do I seem to you? Do you find me pleasing or, or what? Your face more wondrous than the noonday sun. And your look, the look of eagles. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, very well, you may leave now. Thank you, Master. Hmm. Narum, eh? Peachy! Peachy! Is you calling me, Daniel? Oh, the food's here, eh? Good. Mark that wind outside. Winter's about due to strike and fill the trail with snow. There'll be little moving about before spring. Right you are. Peachy, I've decided to take a wife. But you can't do it, Daniel. We made a contract. That was till we was kings. Well, kings, we've been many months now. Oh, but it's no good. I tell you now, I, I'm against it. Against it? You was against using the craft too. But look what it done for us. Oh, but this is different. Billy Fish will tell you no, too, the same as I do. Billy Fish, huh? Who's the king here, him or me? My mind's made up. Three days from now, I shall have me a wife. And you can put it on the drums and tell every blighter out there in the hills. The kingdom of Kafiristan is going to have a queen. Her, Peachy. They should have brought her in here half an hour ago. 
I don't know, Daniel. How about you, Billy Fish? You put him up to stalling off deliberate-like? Certain preparations must be made, Master. She's across the court with some of the priests. Maybe they're trying to hearten her up a bit, Daniel. She thinks she's going to die, you know. Die, indeed. Why, I'm only... Master, it is against the laws of heaven for a woman to marry a god. I'm not a god. I'm a man. You know that by now, Billy. No. And I should not want to think so, Master. But either way, this can mean only trouble. I beg you to reconsider. And I beg you to shut up, Billy. I'm through waiting. I'm going over there. Master, please. We've got to go with him, Billy. And I'm thinking it's going to mean trouble. How many men can you defend, depend on? No more than 20 with rifles. Most of my men are in Bashkai. Then what shall we do? We shall have to make a run for it, I fear. We might be safe in Bashkai. Come on now, you buckling fools. Bring out the girl. Well, that's better. Here, girl, this is no way for a bride to behave. A smile now. And give us a kiss. Oh! The wench has bitten me. Bloodbuster, don't let them see the blood. Look! See the blood! He's not a god or a devil, but only a man! What is this, Ross? It's too late. Mark Daniel, they're coming with knives. They can't do this. I'm the king. You've got to run for it, Buster. Oh, come on, Daniel, come on. Oh, down near the heathen. I'll come back. I'll come back on their blasted heads in. That's what I'll do. Oh, Daniel. We'll be back all right. How much further, Billy? Uh, only a short way beyond this ridge, Master. Well, so far, so good. That last them blooming drums are stopped. We're at the top, Daniel. A right good climb it's been. Oh, wait. Look. It seems the drums have come before us, Master. Cut off. No less than a thousand of them standing there quiet-like, with them wicked long knives in their hands. There'll be no getting past them, Daniel. No. We are done for. Go back, Billy Fish, and take your men away with you. Go with him, Peachy. It's me they want. I did it. Me, the king. No, Dan. I'm sticking with you. Billy Fish, you clear out. I am your friend. I stay with you. You're a good man, Billy. Maybe coming now, Daniel. Peachy. Forget it, Daniel. I forgive you freely and fully. Then let them come. There'll be one thing they can't change, Peachy. We've been kings. Kings in our right. Kings of old Papyristan. Fish like a blooming hell in their den. There in the snow and the rocks. Good Lord, man. But you, Peachy, you got away from them. Like nowhere did I get away from them. 
They had us for fair, all right. Strung me out on a tree. Drove nails right through my hands, they did. See? But I fooled them all right. Because morning came, I wasn't no wise dead. And then I made them think I'd lost my senses. <laughs> I was afraid to harm me because I was protected by Allah. They cut me down then, and after a while, they let me go. You poor devil. But what of Dravet? What happened to Daniel? Daniel? Daniel's the king. He wears the golden crown. But now, what happened to him? He's never left me. All them long months walking on the road back, he kept me safe. The mountains, they danced at night. But Daniel held up his hands and Peachy came along, bent double. I never let go of Daniel's hand. Not Daniel's head that they gave me in the temple as a present. It's with me now. Here. In this bundle. You knew old Daniel's. Him that was a monarch once. Look at him now. have seen that we was really kings. I'll be on the way. You'll, you'll pardon me, sir? I let him go. There was little else to do. He was only hours away from his death. I sat there and stared at the bundle he had left lying on my desk. Stared as the pale shafts of dawn struck fire in the red beard. Stared at the golden crown, sitting too large and heavy upon the wrinkled, mummified head of Daniel Dravot. The man who would be king. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight's story, Rudyard Kipling's The Man Who Would Be King, was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and featured Raymond Lawrence as Peachy, Eric Snowden as Daniel Dravitt, and Herbert Rawlinson as Kipling. Musical effects were created and conducted by Cy Fewer. Next week,
week, CBS and its affiliated stations invite you to escape in Operation Florida an episode from the files of the OSS. And so, good night, until a week from tonight, when again we invite you to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. I hope you enjoy our show. I hope that you have sweet dreams when you go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Join us again right here on Fear of the Mind Radio. <laughs> ha 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 ha